Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. So I wanted to give a little tip of Onyx this week and it has to go with when you're scouting. So when I'm scouting for elk or anything else really, I like to use both Onyx and Google Earth on the the side to kind of give an idea for the, the way the train looks. So say I'm scouting out west and I find this you know specific area I want to mark. Maybe that's a north facing slope or a meadow or whatever that might be. You can mark a place mark on the Google Earth the desktop version, the pro version. It's free to download, but you can mark your place mark there. And once say you have a collection of say 15 waypoints, you can save those files as a, a KML file type. Save that to your computer and go over onto onxmaps.com. Go into their web app if you already have the, the, the login for that. Go in and go into my content on the sidebar there and hit import file. And you can upload those waypoints right into your Onyx maps. And then you can go in on the Onyx Hunt app and change that waypoint, you know, change the icon, change the color, description, whatever you might need, and you have those files there, then they're automatically transferred right to your phone. You can use them for offline use, in the field, everything else. So that's something that I've found is really valuable when using the two to be able to scout. And because when I'm in the field, Onyx is the only thing that I use, and it's really helpful to be able to uh, use those two programs together. So if you have uh, the Onyx Hunt app, then you can definitely do that. And if you don't, if you want to use the code EMW at checkout, save yourself 20% off the Hunt app. So that's either the premium or the elite membership. And the University of Elk Hunting. So Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have put together the most comprehensive course for elk hunting. And actually what I just talked about with Onyx there, I learned that from the course. So Corey has a whole video going through showing how to transfer over the waypoints from Google Earth to Onyx and also to how to transfer it to a standard GPS unit. If that's still, you know, what you want to use, you can, you know, 100% do that. And Corey goes through that all in the course. And right now, uh, one of the biggest things that I've been practicing with and using Corey's course for is the elk calling section. So practicing the cow calls, bugles, different things. On my way to work this morning, had a mouth call in and was just practicing, 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 trying to get ready. Um, I'm using the, the Rocky Mountain hunting calls. The contender diaphragm is my personal favorite. Everyone's got their own, you know, fit of mouth and, you know, their own preference, but that that uh, diaphragm calls is my favorite. So the University of Elk Hunting, once you sign up for that, you get, you know, a percentage off to the Elk 101 store as well. So calls like Rocky Mountain hunting calls and just about anything else that you need, you can find on the Elk 101 store and you get discounts through the University of Elk Hunting on that. 
So if you want to check out the University of Elk Hunting, it's not too late to go through the course here. We're about a month out from September. It's got some stuff in there for October rifle hunts. Anything you're kind of looking for, use the code EASTMEETSWEST to check out. Save yourself 20% off, and then uh, the whole course is good for a year. So check that out. And also, Maven Optics. So Maven has come out with the highest quality optics at half the price of the, the top European competitors, they're doing that through their direct consumer business model. So they're working directly with the customers. There's no, they're not putting them in box stores, Cabela's, Bass Pro, nothing like that. Online or it shows where you're going to find Maven. And what's really cool about that is you're able to, they're able to offer as many customizable options as you want. I mean, thousands of different options. You can change all the colors on it. You can change the camo patterns. You can change just about anything on the optics to make it your own. And so you can check that out at mavenbuilt.com. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT at checkout and get yourself a free gift with any full price optics order. And lastly, Heather's Choice. Heather has developed some of the highest quality food out there and for the backcountry adventures for, you know, hunting, for traveling, whatever that might be. And, and I'm really big if you haven't been able to tell on nutrition and how my body works and reacts. And when you're on extended hunts, nutrition is huge. So with their high fat, high protein type foods that just give you fuel and recovery for what you need throughout the mountains, check out their foods at heatherschoice.com. If you want to help support the podcast, you can use the link that I have in the partners page at eastmeetswesthunt.com. Just click on the Heather's Choice icon to go over there or use the code eastmeetswest at checkout. That'll get you free shipping on any orders over $99. So definitely, you know, go over and check that out as we're getting close here. So uh, definitely should be stocking up on some of your food options um, before the season comes here. So um, as far as some other news here, so the new apparel uh, went live last week and it was a great week with sales. I gave away a bunch of Onyx memberships with orders over $50, just ran out of those. So those sold out in less than a week. And, but I still have, you know, you know, a bunch of shirts, hats, a whole bunch of different things on the website uh, available for purchase there. So check that out, grab some of your gear there. I'll be wearing the the stealth multi-cam hat on my hunts this year. So I'm really, really excited uh, to get to use that. It's a perfect hat for the application there. Uh, In addition to that, so as far as how my preparation's going, um, if this is your first time listening or if you've been listening for a while, I'm going to Idaho this year, uh, going with my good buddy, Michael Palladino and my cousin, Mason Martonic, as well as Justin Mueller will be filming the hunt and we're going to do something. Not sure how this film is going to be released, possibly a Badlands Film Festival entry and there's, or we're going to come up with a, you know, some ideas with it, but there's going to be a lot of. A lot of content created out of this hunt, so I'm really excited about that. And uh, I've been going through my gear like crazy lately. I wish actually I was done at this point with doing that, but um, I you know a little bit behind. Everyone gets busy, but 
So I'm creating, I created, you know, a gear list online that I've talked about before where you can go in and check out, click on the links and it'll take you over to, um, you know, Amazon or wherever else that uh, you can purchase those items and check them out. But uh, I'm also creating one for day hunting, which is what I'll be doing most of the time. So I'm going to create a gear list for that, get that going and uploaded so everyone could see it as well as um, also how I'm packing my truck and some of the stuff I'm taking there for truck camping and just everything else. So that's going to be kind of a, a neat one that, that I don't see very much and I've kind of created my own system for it and am working on it with, um, I added a, a decked storage system, which is like bed drawers to the back of my truck, keep everything even more organized. So I'm going to go through that whole layout there and, and show everyone, you know, what, what exactly I'm taking and, or what we're taking and what the reasons, you know, behind that is. So working on that right now and not sure hundred percent how it's going to work, but I might be able to have a downloadable, um, gear list. You can, you know, download my gear list right to your computer, your phone, and also populate your data in there and your gear to be able to use the same list as well. I uh, grabbed a list from Brady Miller. He did one on Go Hunt last year and kind of modified it to fit my needs. And I think that it could be really beneficial for other people to, to be able to check out. So I'm working on that right now. So be, be looking for that hopefully here in the next couple of weeks to, to be able to check out. So on this podcast, I have Les Welch. And if you've never heard of Les before, he is a, one, he's a, he's a super humble guy. He doesn't talk a whole lot about his success, but the guy just straight up gets it done every single year, you know, whether that's you know, Wisconsin whitetails or that's Rocky Mountain elk. He just flat out gets it done. And he takes an approach similar to what I do when it comes to hunting with super aggressive, you know, in your face type hunting. And I love it. So that was, it was great to be able to talk to him about that. And so we talk about elk hunting and we talk about whitetails in this one. So it's kind of a, a good mixture and a perfect example of, you know, a, a guy from the Midwest, you know, heading out West to, to hunt and, and you really get it done on do it yourself type hunts. So definitely check out uh, this episode here with Les Welch and let me know what you guys think. Thanks. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the East meets West hunt podcast sitting here in a very rainy uh afternoon here in seven springs pennsylvania at the total archery challenge with a buddy of mine les welch what's up buddy how you doing man yeah i'm not uh, used to this rain in pennsylvania but beautiful place yeah yeah it's uh it's been an extremely rainy day so far as trying not to have the tent blow over and everything else but it's been been good definitely the theme of total archery challenge this year rain 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 but I think it's that way all across the country. From it the is. sounds of it. Yeah. I mean, you're from Wisconsin, and everyone else here is from all over the country, and it's been rainy everywhere. We got three inches yesterday, the day I was home in between tax, and yeah, one day, three inches. It's, it's been that way since basically February, 62 inches of snow in February we had. Really? Yeah, our annual is 41 inches a year, and we had like 62 in February alone, so. Jeez. Yeah. What part of Wisconsin are you from? Uh, North Central. I'm actually about 65 minutes southeast of the Minneapolis airport. Okay. So get to do some northern hunting, big woods. There's not a lot of agriculture in my area. So Yeah. Yep. 
kind of similar to what you got out here with out the elevation or the yeah. mountains, you know. Yeah, I, I hear a lot of similarities between Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, and as far as even you know, hunter numbers, just kind of the <laughs> the sure. the type of hunting and everything else. So. Yep, lots of big woods, a lot of hunters, a lot of public land. Um, just very similar. I've never hunted here, but following your stuff and a lot of other people's, uh, it's very similar. Yeah. So what are you doing here at Total Archery Challenge? So I'm a Sitka ambassador, so we get to come here and hang out and talk about fun gear. We don't do any selling, so it's a lot of education, which works out great for me. Uh, just, you know, enjoy helping people and so this this morning alone, having people come up and say, hey, I'm planning my first elk hunt out in the mountains, and this actually fits right in with your theme as well. I'm from Pennsylvania, and I don't know what I'm, you know, what do I need? And it's, like, super easy to build their system for them. Um, so, yeah, we're here for education, show and tell, let people touch it, feel it, try it on, and maybe fling a few arrows, but otherwise just hang out with some really good people all around, yeah. you know. Yeah, and help people as far as, like, as far as with, like, the planning, building a system, you know, it's no... It's no um, secret that buying good clothing is expensive. So it takes a planning. You know, it takes planning to it. It, it does. And actually, the, you know, the couple of gentlemen we just had stop here a few minutes ago, you know, he's, he's planning out a hunt for four or five years out because he wants to have the right gear for that system, um, that, you know, that time frame. And it is. It can be very expensive. So, it, you know, we're here to help, you know, limit that. But... You know, we don't want to see anybody wait five years to go on a hunt. So how can we help them out, get them the right gear the first time so that they're successful out there? You know, whatever that definition of successful is, you know. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about yourself, Les. What's kind of your background? Well, I've been in Wisconsin my entire life. I travel out west every year, anywhere from three to 13 or 14 weeks. Uh, 45 years old, a couple kids. Used to be a fat kid. Now I'm kind of uh, in the middle ground of balancing muscle and endurance. Uh, background, I've done machining and engineering for over 20 years. I uh, really enjoy helping people, so I've been a personal trainer for 10 years doing that. Uh, the hunting industry with you know Sitka and Leopold and Mountain Ops and Yeti. Uh, just getting to help people is a lot of fun. So I do a lot of writing for rockslide.com, um, different magazines. Just a whole multitude of stuff that in, you know that it entails helping other people, being around good people, and just uh, kind of enjoying life because we really don't know about tomorrow. Yeah, no, that's true, and and it's awesome coming to these shows and stuff. You meet so many amazing people, like-minded people, and and everything. And for sure, I, I mean, I, there is not a better group of people. I mean, we can look around us right here, and you know, some of these people I've only known for six weeks some of them for oh 10 or 11 years but it's the industry kind of for the most part will weed out the people that we don't want to be around yeah um, they weed themselves out so to speak and uh, yeah no it's just some great people to be around i brought my boat to three total archery challenges so far um this is actually the fourth one and i've probably shot 35 arrows yeah <laughs> and maybe five thousand photography pictures yeah so it's fun to shoot some photos just hang out and bs and yeah. Have you been shooting photos for a while? So, yeah, probably six or seven years, but really, um, seriously, the last two, starting to do more photo shoots, more outdoor stuff, uh, wherever it, it entails. But, yeah, I'm actually – so my son is now 16 and my daughter 14, and she just had her um, – 
spring orchestra concert, so I got to go in and shoot that element. And, you know, uh, when I'm out hunting now, it, it's always the camera I pick up first when Hunter is along. So we're, it's photographs, it's some video. I'm at all these events, you know, for all the different companies uh, shooting some photos. And, yeah, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm enjoying the shutter clicking almost as much as the trigger pulling now. Yeah. Actually, probably maybe a little more. Yeah. Man, I, I love shooting photos as you do. And I'm, you know, I'm not... I'm not extremely good at it by any means. I just like doing it. You know, I try to get better at it the Absolutely. most I can. And the only way you get better is by hitting that shutter. Right. And asking questions. I mean, we got Sam Soholt sitting over here in the Yeti booth. And I mean, yeah. uh, you know, I was on a hunt um, with Sitka this spring down in Florida for some Osceolas that Brett Singh came down and shot a bunch of photography. And man, it, it, it goes for anything. Photography, clothing, archery stuff. If you got questions, these guys are really, really helpful. All of us, you know, are go ahead and fire those questions away. And um, heck, I'm pretty sure even on your podcast or your website, your social media, um, you know, hit up uh, old Bo here. He's got some good answers for you. Yeah, I mean, a lot of bullshit answers, but you know, hey, I mean, if we don't know it, we'll figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> might be right, might be wrong, but it's, there's only one way to learn, right? <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right, man. That's cool. And so it's funny we were talking earlier about you know how. It's perceived as, you know, a tough thing to plan, you know, Western hunt and everything. Oh, man, and, yeah. and you have your own opinions on that. I do, and I think we're very similar that way. But so I get told, like, I always tell people, tell me I can't do something. I might fail, but I'm sure as heck going to try it. Um, I, I don't like being told I can't do something, yeah. you know. And, and I've heard so many people. I started elk hunting um, in 2009 was my first elk hunt. 2008 was my first mule deer hunt. 2007 was my first western hunt, and that was antelope. So I started that elk hunt planning three years prior to that, buying all the gear. Like, I don't like to buy gear five or six times. I'd rather buy that high-end pair of Leopold binoculars right out of the bat and my Sitka, you know, jacket right off the bat rather than some Walmart stuff four or five times. So I planned that for three years. Um, do, do you have to do that? Absolutely not, but that's just kind of my anal perspective so i'll have people tell me all the time well i can't go out scouting i'm 65 minutes from an airport it's 200 bucks round trip to denver i can rent a car for 14 dollars a day i can be a long weekend two and a half days and i do this two to three times a year fly out rent a car go up in the mountains scout put out trail cams actually i cross off more spots on those trips than i actually find but that narrows it down for me when i get out there in september i've marked off 50 spots on a map that i had 60 spots marked on yeah i got 10 spots to go but they're yeah. spots that look good yeah you know? I, I an out west trip people put too much emphasis or too many eggs in a basket of saying i can't or um you know i just it's too much work or too much thought it's not just go do it tomorrow's not promised Figure it out. Go online. Go to rockslide.com. Ask Bo at East Me Sweats. Shoot me an email. Uh, there's so many options out there for you for information. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and the only way you learn how to do it is just by doing it. Trial by fire, man. You know, that's, yep. you know, that's what I did, and that's what you did. And, Absolutely. And, I mean, your success rate is actually pretty incredible. And, and I'll sp- speak on the behalf of it. You said that, what, in 10 years you've killed 11 bulls? Yeah. It's... Um, <laughs> it, I'm a DIY uh, public land hunter. I, I don't pay for guided hunts, and, and I have nothing against that. To each their own apple. I like figuring it out. Uh, if it's salmon fishing, I, I personally don't care to reel that in. Once that salmon smashes the dipsy or the downrigger, I hand that rod off. But 
just figuring it out for me. So it's, it's been DIY. There's a lot of planning. I've had some really good people teach me a lot of things, and I have no qualms about passing that information on. I'm not going to tell you my honey hole. Um, yeah, honestly, when it comes to honey holes too, I mean that's. I mean we were talking about that earlier with whitetails. I've never killed a giant or a big whitetail out of the same tree or sometimes even the same 40 acres. It's. Um, I think there's a that's a little overrated. I prefer fresh areas. Like yeah. I would rather go to a new unit in Colorado, Idaho. New Mexico or Montana than I would the one I was at last year. Yeah, I know the one I was at last year, but I know it. I want to see what's over the next mountain, over the next ridge, and I love exploring, and that's a big part of it for me. Yeah. Um, that's that's a thing, though, that you and I have a lot in common because people were telling me that. They're like, why don't you keep going back to the same spot? You're learning what you're doing, and it, maybe I could be more successful doing that, and I do it with whitetails, too. Once I figure, like, I don't want to say completely figure out an area, but once I get it, I'm like, I'm ready for the next thing. What's the next I challenge? Just, I keep scouting new areas and doing this. I love seeing new country, mm-hmm. whether that's in Pennsylvania, that's in Colorado, Idaho, whatever it is. Yeah. I love seeing new country and just trying to figure it out. And like you said, just the whole, you know, I talk about it all the time, but the adventure aspect of it is Absolutely. It's, amazing. And it kind of goes back to the photography, man. I, I love the photography portion of it. I mean, I take, you know, anywhere from one to five or you know, 6,000 pictures sometimes. Yeah, most of them are garbage, but I enjoy doing it. There, it, it stockpiles it back. I mean, I was, you know, going through my portable hard drive, you know, eh, what should I put on social media? Oh, there's a 2008 picture of a wall. Oh, yeah, I remember that hunt, you know, and it clicks. But just back up a little bit about what you said about, you know, learning an area. I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. You do learn an area, but I think you get comfortable. You get complacent. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of people, you know, a lot of guys that go back six or seven years and they get excited because they drew their bow this year. My gosh, guys, I'm taking up golf if that's the case. I mean, yeah. no way. Um, you get complacent. I think once you know an area, you don't, you're not looking for the new aspects. You're not looking for what changes. When you go into a fresh area blind or a new area that you're not familiar with, you're, it's boots on the ground. You need to figure it out. So I, I think it's, um, it's a good element, I believe. Yeah, it's, it's completely outside of your comfort zone, and that's where you can grow the most. Absolutely. You know? I mean, it's, it's said a lot, and that's so true. It comes the same way with hunting as 100%. it is anything else. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, you've went to, how many different states have you hunted? Oh, boy, so I've hunted Idaho, Colorado, Montana, New Mexico, um, that might be it, oh, Wyoming. Wyoming. I've got points in Nevada, Arizona, Utah, um, and I've just kind of been stockpiling those points, but Wyoming, of Hunted multiple times, Colorado multiple times, Idaho multiple times, Montana only once, and New Mexico multiple times. And there's a variance there. You know, I'll, I'll take that New Mexico tag every time I can draw it, but that's you know that's a low percentage, two to six percent chance of drawing that tag. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I put in this year. And, did you? Yeah, unsuccessful, but yeah, yeah. yeah. It, you gotta you gotta be prepared for that. That's usually the case, but man, when you draw it, um, it's fun. Yeah, New Mexico is very. It's a it's a different element, but it's very cool. Yeah, for sure. And, and it doesn't matter. I, I, lo- I love the mountains. From, being from Wisconsin, I mean, just showing up in Vermont last weekend for Total Archery Challenge, it blew my mind. I'm like, shoot, it's beautiful out here. Yeah. I, I love mountains, man. What, uh, what do you think, I mean, there's probably a variety of reasons, but what, what do you think some of your, like, the main components of you being successful on these hunts, you know, kind of boils down to? I, I guess pick two things right off the bat. Um, I don't like failure. Mm-hmm. And failure doesn't necessarily mean punch, not punching a tag. If I give everything and don't punch a tag, that's okay. Um, but knowing how to read a map. So I learned elk hunting uh, mainly 
from my buddy Mike, and he actually just retired here uh, 10 days ago. But he was a, or, yeah, a surveyor for whatever. I don't want to date him too much, but like 30-ish years. Yeah. And the guy knows maps inside and out. And so he ingrained that from day one, learn how to look at a map, how to read a map, and what to look for. Um, I honestly feel naked if I go any time without a map in my pocket now. Where normally it was a GPS and like point A to point B. No, not anymore. Yeah. Learn how to look at a map, read it, and then I just, you know, I don't give up. I mean, him and I will leave the tent before it gets daylight, and we might not get back until 2 or 1, 2, 3 a.m., depending where elk have us. Uh, we'll hunt until legal light is done, and then if we got five, six miles sometimes back to camp, just buy a headlight. Have a mountain house, Heather's choice. Whoops. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, how many times do you see though out west of everyone? You know. Oh man, all before, the time, dude. Before it's dark, heading back, they got to get you know. Oh, or they're cooking breakfast at ten o'clock. You know, I'm like, yeah. no, uh-uh. we don't even know what our camp looks like until one of us tags out and we have to be packing meat, or we're done with the hunt. And we're breaking camp. We, we're literally not. We, we don't spend any time at our camp. It's it's there for to, to lay down. We honestly probably should consider bivy hunting a little bit more, but we generally hunt. So one of the other things we look for, I think that helps make us a little more successful, is uh, drainages that ha- give you multiple options. Like we'll never pack into a spot that's got one drainage going whatever direction, and that's where you're going to hunt. If if that's if the elk aren't there, if you bust them out, if somebody else you know pushes those elk, you're kind of in trouble. We want to have you know. At least three, four, five, six options. Even if we've got to cut over into another drainage that splits, you know, we'll do that. Um, but, yeah, no. I, we've killed more midday bulls than any other time. Uh, midday bulls are very common, 10 to 1. Very common, just like big white tails in a rut, man. You're in a bugling, aren't you? Oh, dude, yeah. yeah I no, I can sit in a tree stand all year long, like at home, where it's, yeah, I don't know. Corey Jacobson says it best. You've heard it. You, yeah. You want to hunt the one bull that wants to die right now. That's It's interaction. Same with turkey hunting, man. I mean. If I can't call them in, I don't want to sit in a blind. No thanks. Yeah. Each, each their own. I'm not, you know, that's just the way I am. Yep. So we cover a lot of ground, um, anywhere from, you know, probably six miles a minimum to, I've, I in New Mexico two years ago on a solo hunt. I covered 19 miles one day looking for elk. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, it's aggressive for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's for, for sure. I mean, I, I love that. T- I mean, like I said, you and I have a lot in common because I, I love being aggressive and mm-hmm. we'll get into the whole whitetail side yeah, in a yeah, bit yeah, yeah. but like as far as that with elk and maybe i could you know sit there over a wallow and be you know successful and, and maybe that's my fault for that but i just love freaking you know chasing bugles and moving and and just covering country and trying to find that one at once like you said die yep, <laughs> that one bull yep and, and we do that a lot so we'll um like I said, it's, it's daylight to dark hunt for us. Yeah, there's over lunchtime. If it's quiet, it's slow. We're going to sit down and take a half hour lunch. We're still calling every 10, 12 minutes, you know, making sure that animals know we're around. Elk in the rut are like whitetails in the rut. Um, you know, satellite bulls, young bulls are constantly moving. You know, they're from one herd to another, one drainage to the next. So being there, um, making yourself visible, so to speak, audible, um, it, it's, it's very productive. Yeah. And... So you, you kind of alluded to, do you basically hunt from the truck most of the time? Like, is that where you set up a base camp? Never. Oh, you know, oh, so you. So 2014 Wyoming, we, we creep crawled Mike's truck in about three, four miles. 
set up a base camp that we hunted out of, which, man, was that was pretty crazy fun. Uh, yeah. It's pretty nice to have, like, trout out of the creek and canned potatoes. Yeah, versus, yeah, yeah. Um, no, we uh, we backpack in. So um, we got a spot in Colorado that's about five, six miles in. Um, it's an OTC unit. So that unit we've learned really good. It's one of the few repeat places we have. So we'll, we'll backpack in there. New Mexico, um, it's all backpacking. Um, and then you set up, like, a base camp. Uh, spike camp. Spike camp, yeah. Yep, same, same, yep. same concept. Yep, four to seven miles in there. Um, yeah, Montana, we're spiked in. Wyoming, in this other area, we're, uh, we're doing both there. Wyoming's a little different beast where you can't hunt the wilderness areas, and some areas have a little more roads, so sometimes it's a truck camp, but usually it's still in, even there, one, two, three miles, just saves you a little bit of time. Yeah. You know? But... It is kind of nice. I'm not lying as I get a little bit older that some of those creature comforts are, are a little nice sometimes. Yeah, I'll tell you what. The first couple of years, I backpacked into a spike camp, basically. I haven't, like, fully bivy hunted before. But would go into a spike camp and hunt. And I kept finding myself in this spot hunting back towards the trucks where I was finding elk. Yeah. So this past year, I went in there for the first few days and just set up from the truck and s- slept in the rooftop tent and everything. And Holy cow, is that nice. The, the one thing, though, is you have to be disciplined to get up earlier because you have a longer hike in Absolutely. and everything else, you know, where otherwise I could wake up and basically be in the... You're almost hunting right Yeah, there. you're almost hunting right there. Yeah, yeah. So we've got a couple spots in Wyoming like that where we've hunted. Um, we've been lucky to draw that general um, archery tag a few times here recently. And we'll do the same thing. Um, it might be another extra mile, mile and a half. But like you said, you get up an extra 30 minutes earlier and you can eat a little nicer at the truck. You can sleep a little nicer, have a lantern at night for cooking or whatever. Yeah. And some, it, it is nice. I'm not going not gonna to lie. But it's always effectiveness, too. You know, there's that balance of, you know, being able to be where the elk are when you need to be and, and still being a little bit more comfortable. So, yeah. Do you, um, you kind of mentioned that you do some solo trips. Mm-hmm. What's that like hunting elk solo? Um, I, I like it. Uh, you know, Mike hunted solo a lot. Um, and then we kind of hooked up and we hunted a lot together and it kind of, it depends on our preferences, how each one of us that year want to apply for tags, how the tags are going, the application strategies. So if we draw, we try to, um, hunt together as much as we can. And a lot of times we'll even, uh, we'll draw the same tag and even get into the same area and camp right next to one another. But maybe, uh, if we're trying to find elk, um, get them narrowed down, we'll go solo directions and, and, yeah. and narrow them down. Uh, I drew a really good southwest New Mexico, the Gila 16B, a couple years ago, and um, Mike ended up drawing a different unit. And so that's, I put on uh, like 108 miles in six days there solo. Um, it's fun. Uh, the one thing I like about solo hunting is you make or break your hunt. You don't mess somebody else up. You don't depend on somebody else. Um if you want to go left, you go left. If he wants to go right, and there's two of us thinking about it, you know, okay, now we got to talk it over. And if you go right and it doesn't work out, you're like, shit, we should have went left. Yep. And we don't have that, I don't want to say competition, but we don't have that um, feeling towards one another. It's uh, We'll look at one another and say, no, let's go left. He'll say, no, you go right. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. We're, we get along. We hunt really well together. Um, but no, it's, it's solo is fun. It, uh, there's people who it does not work for. Uh, you know, after two days away from their family or not talking to people, they're just, you know, and they, it just doesn't work. I'm okay with that. Yeah. No, I, I've, um, I think the first year I went out, 
I don't think I could have done it solo. Yeah. Like, I think the more I do it, the more I could do it. The one thing that has always kind of concerned me is getting an elk out by yourself. Mm-hmm. Have you done that? Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. And um, a good one that comes um, to mind is, uh, I got to think about the year here. If I, It doesn't matter. It's around 2011, 10, 09 or 10, Mike killed a bull in Montana in a burn nonetheless. And it was about 80 degrees. He was actually wearing sunscreen not to get burnt. And if I remember right, it took him four or five days to get that elk out. Um, but you keep it in the shade. You keep it along a creek where it's cold at night, covered. Um, we don't, I, I mean, I don't want to say we don't worry about it. That sounds very nonchalant. We do worry about it, but it's not an issue if you take care of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest thing is can you get that out out physically? And it's not necessarily a time frame. The body tends to give out a little bit as well. Um, and I know I'll catch some flack when I say that time frame, but I, I've had, you know, bulls in the for five six seven days if they're cool enough they're fine um so mentally um is just as important as physically tough um that's for being solo that's for being with a partner um you got to have the will and the want and some people don't have that and that's okay yeah you know yeah and then yeah really a lot of times this whole type of even western hunting or backpack hunting isn't for everybody not at all I mean, for a lot of people, it probably right. isn't. But you don't know unless you try it. Absolutely. You know? Yep. I, I can tell you on my first hunt, probably day four or five, I didn't know if it was for me. You know? <laughs> I was like, yeah. holy cow, what the hell? I put in all this time to do this. This is miserable. You know? And then once I like, I got through it, grinded through the rest of seven days, then I'm like, I can't wait to do it again. Yeah. Like, it was like one of those things that it's... It's funny, but it's definitely uh, not not for everybody. It, it's not, and it's um, it's a huge learning experience. So I, I, I tell I tell anybody if I talk to you, um, I'll give anybody my you know my cell number, my email. If you got a question, call. It, it, I, again, I don't care if it's two a.m. If I'm awake, I'll answer it. If I'm not, it'll be tomorrow morning when I get up at seven or whatever. But if you would see my pack, and I've got a picture of this man, I'll, I'll send it to you. My first elk hunt was from a, with my best friend from high school. We went to Idaho in an OTC unit. Bunch of research. Um, Mike had helped us with an area a little bit, um, quite a lot. And, uh, dude, I'm not, I'm not lying to you a bit when I say my pack. So I'm a Kafaru loaded up. It was, gosh, the Long Hunter 7,000-inch pack. Completely stuffed full. At 106 pounds in that pack. That didn't include my bow that was strapped to my chest, my binos on my chest, my rangefinder on my chest, my pocket stuffed with food. Um, I'm I'm not kidding you a bit when I say I was 125 pounds easy walking in of gear. <laughs> We'd planned 16 days in the backcountry. For your first hunt. For my first hunt, man. So here we, we, we roll up to the spot in the morning. We, we went we went to the trailhead that, that night before, found the trailhead. We had it all marked on on. Um, GPS where we were going. We went, actually got a hotel room that night, like an hour away. Got our packs dialed up. I mean, we had a lot of shit, dude. <laughs> I say dialed up, but we were ready anyways. Yeah. yeah. So here, here's, here's how bad it was. We come in, park at the truck, and there's elk bugling at the truck. But, you know, within a mile of the truck. No lie, we walked past these elk to hike for 16 hours. Because we were like, oh, we had a predetermined spot we were going to go, and that's where we wanted to go camp. And that's where we were going to set up for 16 days of hunting. Yeah, so we got in there. It took us about nine hours to get in there, and we realized we had water, but we couldn't get to it. It was so steep, you could not get down to the lake. 
We were out of water. We're like, what do we do? It took us nine hours to get in here. What do we do if we kill an elk? We got no water. So we turned around and hiked back. It took us seven hours to get back to the truck. We hiked for 16 hours, pretty much, you know, besides a five-minute break here and there and about an hour where we got in there and sat there and decided what to do. First day for, yeah, 16 hours. That was my first hunt. Holy cow. So we said, we, I'm not kidding you. At the trailhead at 9 o'clock that night, right at dusk, we're setting up our tents at the truck, our little bivy tents, you know. The alarm clock goes off the next morning at 5.30, and I'm out there. I'm getting my stuff ready. and So I got I already got plan B rolling in my head for that next morning. There's elk bugling. I walk past the first day, and uh, I hear my buddy's tent unzip. And his head peeks out a little bit. He goes, what in the F are you doing? I said, dude, it's going to be like in like 30 minutes. He says, I said, I said, I'm going to head up to plan B. He goes, F that. He says, I'm going back to bed. Like that day one was, I mean, it was brutal. Yeah. And um, I'll never forget. I'll never forget the look on his face or the words he said. Until the day I die, I'll remember those words. But I was like, you know, I'm going. And uh, so I killed my first bull later that night. Did you really? Yeah. On day two, your very first very day. first day that I physically hunted elk. Um, yeah, second day we were actually elk hunting. But yeah, yeah, I killed a five by five that night. Um, Sam helped me pack him out. We hunted for fifteen more days. Fourteen had some opportunities, a couple of missed shots. Um, you know, we just didn't capitalize on for his tag, and uh, I learned a lot, man. I mean, who walks past bugling bull elk a mile from the truck? I'm raising my hand over here for all those you can't see it. But. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, we, you know, there's a lot of us out there that can help narrow your learning curve down. Um, <laughs> I've got some things in the work. Like, you know, Corey Jacobson's Elk 101, man, uh, his, his Elk University, look it up. I mean, that itself is like, that's worth five, that's worth a thousand dollars. And he's, you can probably get it for a hundred bucks ish somewhere online. 80 um, if you use the code East meets West. There you go. See, see? there you go. And I'm, I'm not kidding you. That itself, if you've not hunted Elk, will take years off your learning curve. If you have hunted elk, I guarantee you there's $80 worth of material in there. Guaranteed. Now, I'm working on a couple of things. Um, so I, I actually teach people. Like, like I will bring a small group of people in. Eight hours on a Saturday, four hours, six hours on a Sunday, whatever it is. Let's talk gear. Let's talk elk hunting. Let's talk maps. Um, so I'm doing some of that stuff too. But I, I reach out to any of us online and, you know, simple questions. Rockslide will, will help narrow that learning curve. Um, do whatever you can, but don't don't not go either because you think it's overwhelming. I mean, 125 pounds for 16 hours was it was a lot, but yeah, I wouldn't trade it though, man. Yeah, that it's a hell of a story if anything, it's, you know. I, I'll send you those pictures. You're gonna go like, what were you even thinking? Yeah, I don't know. I, I wasn't sure what to think at that point. Yeah, well, I mean, even even me on my first trip definitely wasn't that much weight, but like mine, I weighed my pack. And I thought I had, I bought like what I thought was pretty lightweight gear, but I carried way more stuff than I needed to. I was somewhere around 72 pounds or sure. so, which is still a lot more yeah. than you need for yep. seven days, seven days, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and I wish, you know, I really should have brought more food and less gear, you know, yeah, for right. that thing. But yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's definitely a learning curve, but you got to do it. You got to go out and, and give a shot at it and. You've given given me just talking to you earlier and everything some more motivation for it again. You're just like you know, oh, it's it's an addiction. Like yeah, I I love to talk elk hunting and you know working with Sitka and, and these different industry companies over all these shows. I mean, just even this year, you know, um, fifteen shows this year. It's 
it's an addiction. I tell people literally, like, do not go do this until you're ready to commit to it. Because you, you, you're going to love it to the point where you're going to want to go every year or you're probably not going to go again or at least not for five or ten years. But mostly you're going to want to go next year and you're going to have to figure that out. Um, there's, I'm sure there's been dissolved marriages and bank accounts and a lot of that stuff. But, again, it's... Hey, you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you, and you don't know if that with you is going to be tomorrow or if it's going to be in 30 years. So give it a whirl. Send it. Yep, send it. <laughs> that's that's the perfect way of saying that. So we've, uh, we were talking also earlier a little bit about the whitetail side of things, and I've brought it up on this podcast before about my extremely aggressive kind of whitetail yeah. tactics, and you take that to a whole other level yourself, and... Can you talk a little bit about whitetails? Because, I mean, that's that's kind of, I mean, I guess would be your bread and butter as far as that's what you grew up, you know, yeah, so doing. I'm, you know, I'm almost 45. I, my dad, like, my passion from for, for the outdoors uh, has to come from him. I mean, he's more of a fisherman, but, like, I've been in the woods with him and on the water since I was three years old. So growing up in Wisconsin, we've got deer. I mean, I mean, you guys got deer hunters too. Um, you know, we've got six hundred thousand in our state. You know, rifle hunters. Um, so I've killed a lot of deer in my time. I I, I love whitetail in the rut. Like it's a t- it's a toss up. A bugling bull, and I, I love that they're September and November. Like yeah. if they were the same months, man, I would be so conflicted of what to do. And and I like to do them both for like the entire month if I can. It, you know, so yeah, um, whitetail in Wisconsin. We got a lot of deer. Um, we've got some really good pockets of great deer in the state. Um, I don't hunt those pockets. I, again, I'm a public land hunter. It's all I've ever done. Um, been really fortunate to tag some nice whitetails in Wisconsin, and it's really happened um, a lot over the last 10 or 11 years since um, I've changed tactics, become more aggressive, um, baiting neither here nor there. Like I, I'm not a you know I'm not a fan of it. Uh, you know how I I've done it in the past I know what it's about you know I know how animals react it's just not um, it's not my style so learning how to hunt away from bait or away from people who bait and being aggressive over the last yeah 10 to 12 years I guess do the math um, my success has skyrocketed um, and on big mature bucks that's um, like an elk man you know you get that five by five that comes in bugling I, he's still going to get an iron wheel to the freaking chest that's just the way it is um but uh you know a white tail comes in that 125 inch three-year-old white tail he's pretty tough to shoot right now um not saying depending on the situation in the state you know I, I still like killing him uh but becoming aggressive over the last 10 years has put more inches of antler um and fun like just i love interaction with animals turkeys is aggressive elk is aggressive whitetails are aggressive ducks and geese obviously that's uh you know it's interaction you know so you're that's that's i really enjoy that so yeah we we did talk a little earlier about our our aggressive styles and uh, i kind of hate to let that cat out of the bag but i've I've helped some or i don't know if i want to say helped is the right word but showed and told some people back home what i've done over the last few years and I, some of those guys are trying it now and they're putting some white tails on the wall that like they've known were there but they've just never been able to get it figured out and it it works it's not for everybody yeah um, some people we were talking about 
uh, I don't know if you want to say yeah, it. Yeah, Clint. Yeah, my buddy Clint Casper, but he has a completely different outlook on it yeah. than you and I do, yep. where he's not into calling much. And, and does it work for him? Yeah, and it does. E- exactly. And it's it his does. style. He's extremely you know? successful with it. Yep. And, and then you and I take the other yep. <laughs> side of it and going to have to let the cat out of the bag. Right. Call like a motherfucker. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's what it is. So, so like you're more, it sounds like you're more of a calling guy. Uh, and I do that as well. So uh, if you want to know kind of a, like, like I could send a video of exactly what I do, but I literally have three grunt calls and a can call on my person and a set of 140 inch eight point real antlers. And those, all five of those pieces get used about in the actual rut, what I consider the rut in Wisconsin from, or Kansas or Missouri, that November 1st to the 15th, about every 8 to 12 minutes. Like, like Corey Jacobson got a note left on his windshield a couple years ago that if you're up in this drainage, you call way too much. Like, if anybody would hear me in the Wisconsin Whitetail or the Midwest Whitetail Woods, they'd be like, what is wrong with that guy? I know that I probably move a few deer, you know, around me that I, I don't see. But I also know the bucks that I kill, they come in hard, they come in fast, and they're ready to die, essentially. They're, all caution is to the wind. They've come downwind, they've come upwind, they've come sideways, and they come right to the base of their tree. They're amazing, like an elk or a turkey at pinpoint in that location. Um, you know, I, I killed a public land whitetail on October 28th, 2013 in Wisconsin. Um, it's a 172-inch buck at three yards. Like... <laughs> You could have done jumping jacks in the tree stand, man. So to tell you how I do this, like every 8 to 10 minutes I do this calling sequence because if you know mature bucks in the rut, they're moving through the woods at a quick clip. If they're not with a doe, they're looking for that next doe. So they're head up, they're walking, head down, they're sniffing trails. I saw this buck. I did a rattling sequence. My horns were hung up. And I'm not kidding you. Like two and a half minutes later, I spot this buck coming. I was actually texting my same buddy from that Idaho hunt. Um, where He was in a tree stand out. I don't know, 100 miles away, so we're texting what was going on, which wasn't much. And I randomly, as I'm typing, look, and I see this buck. I had just hung the antlers up two and a half minutes earlier, and I'll 100% tell you that buck did not know that I did that. He was not within range two and a half minutes prior. He had nose to the ground. He was 80 yards behind my stand, downwind, and he was looking for a doe. And I was like, holy crap. By the time I shoved the phone in my pocket, stood up, hung the bow, and grabbed the horns again, I couldn't see him. He'd already covered 90, 100 yards. But I knew within the next one to three minutes he was going to stop. He was going to look around, and that was my chance. So I grunted really hard, and I started rattling those horns, and I rattled them for two minutes straight. Did not put them down. Hung them up, and it was about 30 seconds, and he was coming on a dead run to the base of my tree. I actually had to let him come underneath me. He come downwind. He was just ears pinned back. I had a heads-up decoy over a little rise, so he couldn't see it, but he knew that calling was there. He come up, come right underneath me, and I was just like, Hey! Like the fourth time he yelled at him and he stopped and he's looking and I shot straight down underneath him. He was 172 inch buck. Um, yeah. If you understand what I'm talking about, those those white tails in the rut, they're you know, they're they're nose to the ground pretty much constantly looking or sniffing, I mean, but they'll stop every you know, two, three, maybe four minutes and they're gonna look around because like I know they know where they're at, but they're like, all right, I just missed three minutes of ground, you know worst danger whatever it is i knew i had that opportunity but i knew i had to be making noise for him because he was he was visibly gone he was somewhere between 150 and 300 yards away when he heard those antlers again and he spun on a dime and came back in yeah isn't that so with your um 
rattling sequence. Are you doing any grunting and bleeding with that as well? I do. So I usually, I make it a fight sequence every time like that. We were talking earlier like that. Um, October 27th, 28th time frame, all the way through the rut. Kind of what I call the end or the that late peak of November 15th, 18th, whatever it is. Um, I'll start out, it's the same exact way. Can call, two to three different grunt calls going, that can call going back and forth, and then it's hang them up, smash the horns together as much as I can in about 30 to 60 seconds, hang them back up quick, throw out another bleat call off that can call, maybe another snort wheeze or something, and then I, I say get ready. Either nothing happens or it's pretty much on. Yeah. Um, it's It's fight or flight usually yeah. it's flight but when it's fight it's awesome yeah i i have a sequence that i love to do i'll do uh basically a, a hit the can a couple bleats and then i'll bah, 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 hit the grunt like that and then that's kind of like my typical one if i either hear a buck or i see one he's kind of you know not super interested yet i just get on that grunt tube and bah, just real deep loud i mean just in your face like come fucking go buddy yep like let's cool. roll yeah and exactly I, I i get like i'm trying to fight this deer like i put that kind of emotion into it and that's how i've i bet i've killed 75 percent of my deer just by doing that having them come running in and you better be ready because it's that's it's it. go time exactly over the last 10 12 years that's that is 100 it it's it's definitely a, a a fight reaction um and like i said i'm, I'm sure there's Yearlings, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, and even mature bucks. I want nothing to do with that. Yeah. And that's okay. Um, you know, all I need is one deer a year in Wisconsin yep. to play. And yep. when he does, if I don't F that up. Yeah. Well, that uh, um, there's a buck I killed a few years ago. Um, he, was about, he was a five-year-old deer, only 125 inches. But I called him in right at noon, and he, he came in. He, he was so mad from me doing that sequence. He's, he's rubbing the trees. He's, he's raking it up and down. And he comes out, and I went to full draw, 37 yards, and I shot him and pinwheeled him. He ran. He crashed. I went up to him. He had so many scars on his back, hair missing. He broke off his G3 on the one side. Like, he was a fighter. Like, yep. I love that. I'm like, exactly. yeah, you met your yeah. match, buddy. Like, this yep. is, <laughs> uh, I love that. Like, it's just, it's just, he was just a brute, and and I love those kind of matches. Like, I, I did too. Man hunting you know obviously that isn't something you're going to use in early october but right. like you no, said no. Yeah, exactly. you know what were you saying november 27th 28th is kind of like your october about 27th 28th is when i'll start and, and i'm a little less aggressive at that time frame because those those bucks are ready their testosterone's there but the does they're not quite receptive yet some of those bigger mature does at that point are you know coming into estrus but mostly those bucks are they're to that point where they're ready but not full-blown stupid. Yeah. So so I'm every 15 minutes at that point probably and a little bit lighter on the calling and rattling. Um, once we progress into that second, third, fourth of November through whenever I you know quit that rut stage, um, it's every 8 to 10 minutes depending on my situation, how far I can see and uh, yeah. just kind of how I feel about that area. But it's it's all out. It's when it's November. It's it's as hard and as loud as I can. It's I don't even start soft because I know eight minutes ago, you know. Yeah, so the, yeah. Because they're like you said, and especially when you're hunting, you know, thicker woods and everything else, yeah. they're covering ground. They're not hearing you, even if they're four hundred yards away or no, so. They're not no. gonna hear you. And they'll cover that ground in five minutes. Oh, easy. 
no no questions like it was you know i don't want to wonder what deer passed me out of range that i can't see i want i want him either to be be like oh shit i ain't going over there yeah or he's coming in i I want him to know he sounds badass i'm out (laughs) or hey let's go let's roll yeah if you had to pick like three or four days on a calendar like that you would be like so excited to hunt do you have those kind of days i, I do and it's uh, and it's kind of tough because it's like the 27th 28th of october i've seen so many good bucks but i've only ever killed one good one they're still just a little too smart I, yeah if I, if I were to put it that way um and i haven't seen as many really good ones between the third and the sixth but i've killed a lot of good ones between the third and the sixth yeah my iowa buck um two years ago public lands uh morning i mean it's a tag you wait five years for and you know three hours into the second morning you have a 160 inch buck laying on the ground <laughs> november 6th was a pretty good day yeah you know? i'd say it was um yeah so I, I for sightings definitely 27th 28th of october and for killing the fourth fifth sixth yeah I um, my days if I had to pick would be the eighth to the like eleventh okay. in that time frame. Um, November eleventh, I've killed probably four bucks on that date. No kidding. And uh, but it seems like even the seventh. I mean, there's some variable dates yeah. in there, oh, but yeah. those dates right there, I know I'm I need to be in a tree. Like yeah. that's just it doesn't matter what's going on. I'm, which I'd love to be in a tree every day in November because <laughs> yeah, exactly. you don't know what's going to happen. You don't, but you don't. Those days have been my most productive. Our season always closes right around the twelfth ish, and my trail cameras have showed some some of the biggest deer walking in that mid November. There's not as much movement. No, nope. but it's the those, big those mature big, bucks. It's, yeah. Everything's winding down. They're looking for that last doe or two. Yep. Oh, those are for for big bucks. Those are yeah. great days. Yeah, and I've I mean the latest one I've killed with a bow that I consider still rutting was like November twenty third in Ohio. It was, it was the day before Thanksgiving that year, and that was that was the latest I've killed, and he was like, you know, somewhat, you know, getting smart kind of again, you yeah, know, kind of yeah. weary. He wasn't as aggressive coming in, but still in that kind of zone. But yep, sure. yeah, I was just, I always wonder that with people if they have like, you know, certain dates. And I, at the end of October, like that, I, if I can get a cold front in that last yeah. week of October, it's on. Hell yeah, let's go, do it. Let's go do it. Yep. Yeah, and something else that you had mentioned to me, um, and I think you might even mention a little bit earlier on this podcast was that a lot of the deer that you kill is not out of the same tree. You might not hunt the same tree twice in, you know, 10 years, you were saying. Exactly. You're you're 100% right. So people ask, have started, especially over the last few years, because it's, um, I've just had a a good run over a number of years here. You know, what are you doing or what's different? With the aggressiveness comes freshness in my, my mind, like, uh, I don't. I won't throw him under the bus too bad, but I have a friend last year who, like, I was in Kansas and he texted me, you know, what was going on, and I answered him back and asked him what, you know, and he wasn't hunting that day because he uh, wind was wrong for one stand and he had hunted the other stand the day before. And I'm like, okay, well, what, what about any place else? He's like, well, I got two spots. I'm like, man, there's uh, in Wisconsin we've got uh, Bayfield County alone's got 300,000 acres of public land. He's not Bayfield County, but I'm just throwing that out there. There's a lot of public land. I do not hunt, like I don't have stands up. I, I literally do not have stands up. I still got some lone wolf straps um, that I'll, if, if I know that it's a perennial area, a good scrape or something, I'll leave a strap and a hook up and I'll just loosen that strap. Yeah. Um, but I, I hunt fresh sign and I'll hunt with a stand on my back. So 
I'll spend most of September in the mountains, uh, maybe even some of October on a on a rifle hunt or a mule deer hunt or something. And so when I kind of roll in, you know, late October, I kind of I want to say I'm a little bit behind the eight ball if you want to throw it that way. I mean, I've got cameras out doing some work, and I've got over you know 20 years of hunting perennial spots that I know will hold deer somewhere. So I, I'm on the ground looking for the fresh sign. I'm looking for big scrapes and big rubs. You know, I, I've never seen a, a two-year-old rub a seven-inch tree. But, a bi- uh, you know, on the flip side, you know, a big whitetail will rub small trees. So I'm looking for big scrapes and big rubs, and that's that's where I'm set up to call in. I know those deer are around. They've made the sign or my camera has showed, you know, maybe here or there that there's a good buck. But it's really fresh sign. It, I, I'm not hunting cold sign. Yep. I'm not hunting a funnel if there's no sign. Not I will not do it. Do you, um, when it comes to this scrapes, I hunt a lot of scrapes. I, I love hunting scrapes and, but I'm looking for those ones with the big ass looking branch that's up there that's yep. snapped and, yep. and ripped and tore. And there's some scrapes that, like you said, I could leave a stand there or I just go back in and put a stand in the same tree every year because there's certain dates that this usually lights up. It does. Yep. But if I go in there and it's not lit up, I mean, I'm not going to sit there. You know Absolutely. what I mean? It's yep. just the same thing. Same way. I'm and, the same exact And moving. It's funny you brought up about rubs. It's a little bit kind of off topic, but the size of rubs, there's certain areas I hunt in the big woods. So I, I consider there's two different types of like like big woods type hunting. There's big woods and there's mountainous. Yes. So there's big woods that's you know less terrain features. And at least in the areas I hunt in Pennsylvania, the big woods, I'm not finding as many giant rubs. I don't know if because there's not as many of the Sure. You know, there's a lot more smaller trees around. So they're hitting a lot of them where when I go to straight, like mountainous, big oak ridge, steep country, they're, they're rubbing a lot bigger trees, but it might be the same age class of deer. And I don't know if it's because again, that there's not as many small trees there and they're doing that. I don't really know what the correlation is. Yeah. Trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um, a buddy of mine that I've had on the podcast uh, from Wild at Heart. They're out of um, Warren, Pennsylvania, near where I live, and they hunt those big ridges. And they think because bucks are betting on the points, and there's only so many points that they're more aggressive trying to you know get that good betting spot. Could be. That makes sense. I don't know. But anyways. I, I don't have a correlation there either. Yeah. Like when it comes to scrapes, you can't, you can't really discriminate. You yeah. Know? I mean, there could be 13 <laughs> bucks using this scrape. It could be one you know, six, seven-year-old buck, or it could be three two-year-olds. I, that, I don't know. But when I look at a, what I like, when I look at a big-ass rub, I go, that excites me. Yeah. And then correlate that where there's some big scrapes around. I'm going to hunt it. Yeah. Um, now, if it's a rub that, you know, an early season rub, they're going to be pretty small. So if I'm finding a big, fresh rub, I, I know there's a good buck around. Is there a certain time that you're hunting scrapes or just whenever you find them being hot? Um, it kind of correlates back with, you know, I, I don't really white tail hunt much anymore before the, about the 27th. So anywhere from the 27th through, I'll hunt, a, I, I'm looking for scrapes through, you know, Wisconsin rifle season. Yeah. Um, even the late season, if I see a late season scrape opened up, it might not be very big then. Any late season scrape that gets opened up, I'm going to key in on, um, cause there's something going on in there. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, and I, I believe that I bet nine months out of the year they'll scrape. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, I set in areas on state game lands and stuff where you're not, you know, even in the summer, not allowed putting minerals out or whatever. Yep. I'll run. I'll put a, a what a preorbital gland scent on a branch on a scrape. I won't even tear up the ground. Yep. They'll come and hit that licking branch in the summertime. You won't you won't see the scrape at all, but they're working the branches. Yep. Yep. They'll oh work. yeah. Yep. Very it's, common. It it does happen. So that's 
it's it's funny how scrapes work. I just love I'm fascinated by scrapes. I am too. I it, love it's, it. Yep. And you know, there's there's right and wrong ways to hunt scrapes and there's a million different ways that can be right to hunt them, but right. I I love big if I find a big licking branch and you know big tore up area underneath it because there's there's a lot of scrapes that bucks will hit one time they're just going through and they're exactly just messing around yep, they're just crew. pawing up the ground and yep you don't want to you got to be able to kind of identify the difference absolutely and, and you'll see a lot of those i mean you I, i've seen bucks do it numerous times just exactly they're cruising through they stop they make four or five paws you can definitely tell it's a scrape it's opened up yeah you know a, an arm circle around there's never going to be anything that ever touches that again. There's no licking branch. It's in the middle of you know yeah. place that you're like, what's it? Or it's like a logging road. So there might be like ten of them right now. The guy, yep. he's just going down. Just just yep. had some testosterone build up, and he's just letting it out. Yep. You know exactly. Yep, I I I agree with that 100 percent, man. Yep, it's fun. I mean, whitetail. It's it's figuring it out. It's whitetail. It's all. It doesn't matter. It's salmon on Lake Michigan. It's just it's figuring it out. It's so much fun. Yeah. Um, you learn every year. You learn so much more. Whitetails are an amazing creature. That's for sure. They are, and, and if you have that open mind, that that mindset of you know, there is um, in the tack last weekend. I spent uh, an hour talking with a couple of guys who they'd never elk hunted out west at all. Um, so they were picking my brain for like an hour um, at the restaurant. Yeah, the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, the restaurant, and uh, and it was awesome talking to those guys, you know. And we got chatting, and they're like, I don't even remember what it was, and they said something that clicked. I'm like, you know, I never really thought of that way before, you know. And these guys never even hunted out west, and you know, I've got thousands of hours out there, and they just said something that just kind of like tweaked in my brain. I'm like, I can use that. Yeah, you know, just having an open mindset, you know, just just because you read it in a magazine, just because you heard it on a podcast, it, it might work for you, it might not. Just just having an open open mindset of trying something different or um, learning from you know don't think you know everything by any yeah, means that's for sure i i have a buddy i've had on the podcast and he is not he's not a, a name in the industry has nothing to do with the industry just a super successful whitetail hunter that i've known public land guy hunts a ton of different states used to live out of his jeep you know hunting all these places that's awesome and his, his name is johnny stewart and that one that podcast has been one of the most downloaded ones i've had because he when he talks it's the most off the wall things that you think of, like for whitetails. But like this guy, like I feel like he thinks like a deer. Like he goes in and just different, just you know, almost weird type tactics, and he just flat out gets it done. And I've taken some of those things that I've never would have thought of, and you know, used it. And it's it's really cool to kind of get different mindsets and figure out what works for you. It, exactly, and, and there's so many resources out there. I mean, you know, it used to be, um, you know, you had to buy hunting videos, and, and so much of that's, you know pen slash private ranches whatever and and it's evolved into you know youtube and podcasts and take a look at our friends at the hunting public if you want to talk i'm just gonna say that dude i mean i'm aggressive and these guys are like but it it makes at first i'm watching i'm like i just you know i'm just like you know i don't know and then i'm like these guys have got a tight schedule they need to make it happen and they need to move on and they put a lot of thoughts in my head man i'm like yeah oh they they put a lot in my (laughs) head too like yeah, they're extremely. Dude, they take aggressive to the next level. I mean, you and I are probably a couple of levels up for most people, and these guys are like they're on the top of that mountain up there going. But it's pretty fun because they get it done. You know, sometimes they don't, but yeah. you know, more than not, they're getting it done. And if they don't, they learn from it, and it, you know, yeah. it happens next time. So yeah, there's a lot of so much um, so much knowledge and, and difference of of style and, and making adapting adaptation um, out west or in Wisconsin or in Pennsylvania. Um, 
just have an open mind and be willing to adapt, I think, is, is going to make you much more successful. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, Les, do you th- think of anything else that you want to you want to throw out there or what, what do you think? I don't know. I, I think we threw out a lot of our secrets today. I, we might have to, you know, revisit this somewhere later on. Um, yeah, it's probably more than enough. You know, hopefully <laughs> everyone listened to it closely and had a notepad out or, or gets it back out to, to hear right. some of this stuff. I know, I know I'll be uh, writing some stuff down when I'm doing the editing process, you know, I know I said, I don't like to edit, but I do listen to it all again. Yeah. Sure yeah, exactly. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I could sit and talk this stuff um, literally every day, all day. It's that it's that passionate, you know, to me. And, and seeing, like, my son come up through it and, you know, my daughter, she, she likes to shoot. She doesn't like to kill things. Yeah. Um, you know, and yeah. If, if you guys have questions, anybody, anywhere, see us. There's none of us that are too good. We were all there at one point in time, you know, and, and we just want to see everybody else enjoy move on and be successful so. yep and pass it along to pass their knowledge along absolutely. to someone else you know absolutely it doesn't do any good to take it with you it's just you know again don't don't call and ask where our hunting spots are because that's i'm not giving out that no i mean you're welcome to make that phone call but you know i'll answer that phone answer that number one time and that's yeah <laughs> you're not going to get any information on our spots or my spots so yeah so but, in the show notes i'll include uh gps coordinates to i've got a couple of great spots i'll send you yeah I mean, if, if you want to get in there and go after it, yeah, I'll send them to you. All right. That's perfect. <laughs> well, Les, where can we find some more stuff, uh, what you're doing? Um, my social media is kind of there. I run through my contact stuff there. If you have any questions, I'll be glad to help out as much as I can. It does get a little bit busy. Show season gets a little tough. Hunting season gets a lot tougher. Um, kind of, yeah. kind of be, try to be off the grid there as much as possible. But Instagram and Facebook are all under me. Um, rock slide you'll find some of my articles i got a lot of stuff coming up here we got some new stuff going on um you know if you're at any of the trade shows you know through sitka or leupold or mountain ops yeti you know any of those people um feel free um yeah reach out i always like chatting yeah yeah i I can tell you know we got the same passion when it comes to talking about this stuff and that's what's that's what's awesome whether it's fitness or it's outdoors um hunting um yeah it's it is my passion i mean it's it really is. So, and I love to help people. Like literally, I mean, that's what's created my. Well, help me kill an elk, then. Absolutely, man. That's, <laughs> I'm, I, whatever it takes, that's w- within reason. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. All I got to right. keep the onyx spots off. Okay, I thought. I thought. I mean, they have a feature on there where you can tr- you can sh- share way. Oh, yeah. I've I've shared a lot of waypoints. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just yep. share the ones that you already scouted. <laughs> nothing's there. No, I'm I'm just yeah. kidding, but. Yeah. Uh, last dude thanks for sitting down with me man i really appreciate it appreciate it man i'm absolutely well have a, we're just day one of the show so yeah. we got yeah. we got three and a half more days of each other so it'll there, be a good time there's some pretty intense cornhole tournaments going on here i don't know who's gonna win but uh yeah. there'll be a lot of bs spattered along the next few days yeah i mean i'm gonna have sarah on here but she, you know she's ranked 36 in utah at number 36 she was but she's taken like three weeks off now so she's probably not even ranked anywhere anymore yeah i never knew there was cornhole rankings by state but she's proved that to us so yeah you probably want to try to draw a different partner <laughs> awesome right. man thanks for having me appreciate it sit down talk hunting anytime it was a good pleasure all right dude we'll talk soon sounds good buddy 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.